source of true delight, my unseen adore. Unveil thy beauties to my sight, that I might love thee more. Oh, that I might love thee more. You're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding dying. The scripture for today is found in Ruth chapter 3. In the uh, blue pew Bible, that's page 224. I'm sorry, Ruth chapter 4. Hear the word of the Lord. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and lay him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amenadab. Amenadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Solomon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. The word of our Redeemer. Lord, we ask for your mercy and grace, even as the word is proclaimed, as we seek to open up the riches of Christ. Uh, Lord, we are inadequate, and we will abuse this privilege. I will abuse this privilege, Lord. We pray for your Holy Spirit to sanctify us, to make us holy in it, to feed us upon Christ. Lord, enable us not to ignore him, but to be enriched by him, to have our hearts go out to him afresh and trust him even more. And bless to us, Lord, as we hear this word, that it may lead us to uh, a sweet time of communion as you seal to us your promises, as you... Give us this guarantee that we actually can touch and taste and eat and drink with your people. Oh, Lord, pour out your blessings. You, if we, being evil, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more shall our Father give us good things in Christ Jesus? Lord, we ask for this and depend upon it in his name. Amen. Uh, One of the things that I've enjoyed coming from... Mississippi, and a little background, my mother, who was raised in West Texas, said that when she moved to Alabama, she just hated it because it felt like she was driving in caves the whole time because of trees everywhere. Uh, An interesting perspective because some people coming from the southeast drive around out here and say, there's nothing there, you know. Uh, But for her, she just couldn't stand the fact that she was so closed in constantly. And one of the things that I've enjoyed in moving to Fort Worth are the many views of the city. Where I came from in Jackson, 
you could be you could be a block away from downtown, and you couldn't. Well, there wasn't a downtown much anyway in Jackson, but uh, you you could be a block away and you still couldn't see it. But I've, I, I'm fascinated that you can be coming in on I-20 West, and there you come over a rise, and there's downtown Fort Worth. I, I love coming from the south on 35, and you see Fort Worth. I love coming from 30 from Dallas, and you come around that rise and down the hill. Just a beautiful, magnificent display of Fort Worth. And perhaps the best one I've seen is coming from the north, down 35 at night, and coming over a rise and just the beauty of our downtown. Um, Well, that's a picture of what the Bible does with Christ, giving us view after view after view after view of the Lord Jesus. We're of course, familiar more with the Gospels, of course, presenting him uh, in his actual time on earth. Acts presents him as the Lord that now is reigning and pours out his spirit on his church and enables his church uh, to minister to the nations. Uh, the epistles, of course, reveal him as the apostles explain uh, the work and person of Christ. And then Revelation comes and uh, talks about his victory in history. But the Old Testament as well is devoted to Christ Jesus. Even the Lord Jesus, after his resurrection, to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, uh, it says that he, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. There was no New Testament. So he ranged through the whole Old Testament to share the wealth, the treasures, all of the pictures of himself in the Old Testament. And later with the disciples in the upper room, it says he went to Moses and the prophets and the Psalms Uh, saying that all these things must be fulfilled in me. So the whole Old Testament anticipates Christ. The whole Old Testament forms a preview of Christ. So every act of rescue and redemption in the Old Testament is a picture of the final rescue and redemption in Christ. When we hear of, uh, we, we learn of priests and prophets and kings in the Old Testament, they all point to the one prophet, priest, and king, the Lord Jesus Christ. When we see sacrificial animals, they point to Christ, who's the Lamb of God. When we see all of the different parts of the temple and tabernacle, they point to Christ. And then when we see in, for instance, Proverbs and Psalms, righteousness set forth, wisdom set forth, integrity set forth in what's called the wisdom literature, he is the fulfillment of all that. He's the true picture of all of those things. The one and only man who is truly the righteous man and the wise man. So every single part of the Old Testament is pointing to Christ. And it makes me think of the Mississippi River. As you have seen, the Mississippi Basin, it covers the whole central part of America from the Rockies to the Appalachians. And it drains that whole area. And all those tributaries pouring into the one mighty Mississippi, uh, the third largest uh, in the world in terms of its drainage area. And I think of all of these different parts of the Bible then pouring into this marvelous, uh, mighty river of revelation of Jesus Christ. Or you might think of those 
uh, composite pictures where you've computer-generated pictures and they're made up of all these tiny little pictures and the computers arrange them into one, perhaps, uh, portrait of a person. And so all these little tiny pictures form a, a mosaic uh, and a total picture. And that's another way to think of all of the revelation pouring into us from the Bible, Old and New Testament, forming this marvelous mosaic portrait of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, of course, Ruth is no different than any other part of the Old Testament as it anticipates Christ and teaches us about Christ in many ways. And this morning, we're going to focus particularly on Boaz as a picture of Christ. And so what's interesting is you can use the, the righteousness, uh, the faithfulness, the generosity, the sacrifice of Boaz, and this can be a kind of doorway for us to learn more of these aspects of Christ's character toward us. And so he becomes a, uh, a means of bringing Christ to us and bringing him into a, a better uh, focus to explain him more to us. And the things I want to focus on, there are several things we could, but his generosity, then his faithfulness, and finally his, and I'll do these together, his sacrifice and kinship. His sacrifice and kinship. So his generosity, his faithfulness, and his sacrifice and kinship. And in his generosity, you recall that in the second chapter, when Ruth goes into the field to glean how generous Boaz was, including her, even though she was not among his servants, she didn't belong to him, he drew her in and gave her all the privileges, not only of his servants, but even higher privileges, uh, so that she went home that day with a month's worth of grain. Uh, she re was able to drink the water and eat the very food next to uh, his own family and his own servants. Uh, later, after the threshing floor incident in chapter 3, she went home with an another abundance of grain. And then the generosity of sharing all that he had with Ruth, ultimately. His whole wealth was given over to her. Uh, as he shared with her his home and, and all of his resources and took in Naomi as well and even imparted to the family of Elimelech a future uh, inheritance of land, etc. So the generosity of Boaz is one of the prominent things in Ruth. And you see in Ruth's own reaction to it in chapter 2 uh, where she says in verse 10, Why have I found favor in your eyes that, I should take, that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? In verse 13, I found favor in your eyes. You've comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I'm not one of your servants. She was amazed, and Naomi was amazed at the kindness and generosity of Boaz. And the generosity of God is one of the main topics in the New Testament. The riches of Christ are explored endlessly in the epistles in Paul's letters. In fact, the riches of Christ form not only a critical part, but you might say the starting point of any learning about Jesus Christ is all that he has done for his people. You recall how Paul begins in Ephesians chapter 1 or as Paul enlarges in Romans chapter 8. But in Ephesians 1, very beginning of this letter, he talks about the riches of his love which were ours before the world began. Speaks of the riches of his forgiveness, the riches of, of adoption that we have. 
he, he speaks of the, in that book, the fellowship that we have with his people, the riches of the Holy Spirit, the transformation into the image of Christ. We learn in Romans 8 of God's daily care for us that all things in this world are tools in God's hands for our good. And therefore, in one sense, everything in this world becomes a gift to us in the hands of God. And every relationship and every encounter, no matter how good or how tragic, ultimately, because God uses it for good, nothing, as he says in Romans 8, can be against us. Every action against us is ultimately frustrated because he means it all for good and uses it for good. And so every day of our life can be a true encounter with the God who made us and the Lord Jesus who redeemed us. We have this the riches of a sense of purpose in His hands to use our gifts and our work and family and community and church to spend ourselves to bring honor to Him. And all of this then leads to eternal riches, an eternal kingdom, to reigning with Him in the new heavens and the new earth. And it's interesting that Paul prays in Ephesians 1. He prays that we will have an understanding of the riches of our inheritance. Praying that we would have that knowledge of those things. All of this that Christ has won for us. All of this that Christ gives to us. In Romans 9.23, it speaks of how God will make known to us the riches of His glory. Ephesians 2, seven, how he will show to us the immeasurable riches of his grace. Everywhere you turn, riches, riches, you have this and this and this and this. He constantly tells us what we have in him. And so, as you may have, when I was a kid, I loved, one of the comic books I loved was Richie Rich. I just, there's a fascination with just how rich is this kid. He has unlimited riches. His, his daddy can do anything. You know, there's, there's no limit. Uh, the movie was very much the same way, though it could never approach the book, uh, the comic book. But um, nonetheless, we could say of us, every one of us is a richy rich. Every one of us. But I dare say that most of us don't walk around thinking that we're richie rich. We don't. We don't walk around with a sense of gratitude and amazement at the generosity of God toward us, the generosity of God in Christ toward us. We are, we are supposed to be and can be amazed at His generosity. That's why Paul is constantly setting it before us, why is that such a critical thing for Paul? Why does he just tell us, go do this, go do that, be sure you stop this and start that? That's not the case. He's constantly calling us to understand, to drink in, to be amazed, to be grateful at what all God has done for us in Christ. And the, the interesting thing, brothers and sisters, is that amazed Christians are vigorous Christians. Amazed Christians are vigorous Christians. Christians that have an amazement over their riches are protected Christians as well. They have an amazement over their riches that more than makes up for any loss they would suffer in this world. Because their amazement overshadows loss. 
Maintaining this fresh sense of the generosity of Christ is not easy, but it's a primary task for us to be to be not only full of joy and peace, but to be vigorous in our obedience and our love to others. To be governed by gratitude. Governed by it. To be upheld and strengthened and refreshed and defended by gratitude. Nothing can touch a person filled with gratitude. The strongest people in the world most energetic, pouring their love and their resources into other people. And I would say this, the enemy, that is Satan, his brutality is never greater than in his effort to take away gratitude from the heart of man. His brutality is never greater than in his effort to take away gratitude from the heart of man. You talk about armed robbery. You talk about violent robbery. Because we are made for that gratitude. We're built for it. We must have it. We must be adoring, worshiping people. And yet everything in life is dedicated. Everything in this world, apart from Christ, is dedicated to ruin first our gratitude. And then it will take everything else from us. Paul enlarges on that in Romans 1. The whole root of the sin of man was his loss of gratitude and honor to God. And then everything else fell to pieces because of that. And so it's a lack of gratitude that causes us to stumble in affliction and loss. It's a lack of gratitude that starves our souls and gives strength to our lusts. In the vacuum of ingratitude, sin multiplies. Our hearts are meant to be filled with awe and joy in God. We're made for this, and when it's not present, we'll give ourselves to something else always. We will seek life in something else in the vacuum of ingratitude. And so... As Paul points out in Romans 1, the very uh, things of creation, and we could include with that culture that are meant to teach us of God and draw us to God, we turn them into idols and we we basically are abusing these things. We enjoy them, not enjoying God in them, but enjoy them instead of God, in rejection of God, to the exclusion of God, with no regard to God. And so we were never meant to enjoy his creation or culture of man without gratitude, without a constant reference to him and an acknowledgement of him. And so keep present to yourself. As Boaz is such an example of the generosity of Christ, keep before you always the generosity, the riches that you have in Christ Jesus. And you recall we looked at this verse several times when we were uh, in Hebrews, but I just recall this to you as he's speaking to the people of Hebrew, uh, the, the Hebrews who and he's recalling how they had reacted at a former time because now they're in danger of turning away from Christ. He says, recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. Sometimes you suffered directly, but sometimes your brothers and sisters were suffering and you join yourselves to them. 
and you suffered with them because of their suffering. For instance, maybe going to the prison to help them and then you were drawn into their suffering as people found you out as well. And he says, um, you had compassion on those in prison and because you did, there was a plundering of your property. But notice, you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. They accepted joyfully the seizure of their stuff. Why? Because they knew their riches. They were overwhelmed with the generosity of God. They accepted it joyfully because they thought, man, you hadn't touched our riches, our wealth, what we're truly looking for and what we know we have. That's as good as it's ever been. And so we must be completely more and more taken up with what we have in Christ Jesus. It's your greatest defense. It's your greatest enrichment. Then not only his generosity, but I'll mention then the faithfulness of Boaz. He says in Ruth 3, Don't fear, I will do for you all you ask. And then later, he, uh, Naomi even says of him, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. In verse 18 of chapter 3, The man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. And of course, he did everything that he said he would do. And what, what we read, what Matt read in the end, was the result of Boaz's faithfulness. That Ruth bears this child and Naomi has complete restoration because of the faithfulness of Boaz. Completely fulfilling all that was needed for her. And this is where promise comes in in the scriptures. Uh, When you speak of the faithfulness of God, you you speak of, of promise. That he fulfills his promise. And it's amazing that God sets himself before you and me by promise. And as we've said it before, it's almost as though the promise of himself <laughs> is, is the first thing you come into contact from God. When he comes to Abram, he comes to him in covenant. He comes promising himself to Abraham. As he initially reveals himself to Abraham, he says... I will be your God. I'll devote all that I am to your good, Abram. That's who I am to you. He doesn't reveal himself in the abstract. I'm the eternal God. Uh, I'm wholly separate from this world. No, he, he reveals himself and says, I will be in covenant with you. To say he's a covenant God means that he is a promising God, a God who promises. And Second Peter says... As we've said, looked at this before, he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. We embrace him through promise. And if you look for any other handle by which to get God, there is none. The only handle to lay hold of him and bring him close is his promise of doing you good. He will not be had in any other way. Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. You can't please him unless you believe in what he is and what he will do for you. 
He will not have you trying to earn something He will uh, before Him. He will not have you uh, treating Him like He's some kind of tyrant who is stingy with His goodness, some kind of tyrant that will do you evil if you serve Him. No, you are to believe in His immense goodness to lay hold of Him with, with by promise. And... And so his faithfulness is set forth over and over again in Scripture. The faithfulness of Christ in Hebrews 2. He was made like his brothers in every respect so that he would be a merciful and faithful high priest to satisfy for sins. He was faithful to do that. He knows you need forgiveness. He knows you need someone to bear your sins, to bear punishment. He is faithful to provide that. It's to the extent that in 1 John 1, 9, it says, <clears throat> as we confess our sins, He's faithful to forgive us. Faithful. Faithful to completely cleanse you of your sin. Faithful to constantly give you forgiveness of sin. In 1 Corinthians 10, He says, faithful to uphold you in temptation. In 2 Thessalonians 3, faithful to guard you against the evil one. 1 Peter 4, faithful in the midst of suffering. <clears throat> and then in 1 Thessalonians 5, it says he is faithful. Notice, may the God of peace sanctify you completely and make your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He who is promised is faithful. And so... <clears throat> Every, every part of your day, every hour of the day, every minute of the day, He attends you and He is faithful to you and He sets His promises before you constantly. I've told you about this uh, old fellow that uh, was teaching a seminar at General Assembly years ago, 86 years old, spent every day at the prison, spent days discipling men and calling men to Christ. And one of the things that he did in his seminar was show how he cashed in seven promises a day of God. He had hundreds of promises memorized, but he made a point every day, as he put it, to cash in those promises. And that's a simple way to look at it. But certainly, we need to ask ourselves, what promises this week, what promises did you actively rest in? What promises gave you hope what promises encouraged you this week? What promises enabled you to partake of the divine nature? That's the way you partake of Him, is by those promises. Are we ignorant of the promises? Are we learning the promises? Are we memorizing the promises? Are we reciting the promises and believing them? And is this more fully uh, helping us to understand the generosity of God? And so his faithfulness, his generosity and his faithfulness. And then finally, of course, the sacrifice and kinship of Boaz and Christ. The sacrifice and kinship. Boaz, of course, sacrificed financial well-being. He lessened his estate for their sake. He gave away a portion of it to the family of Elimelech. Uh, perhaps even sacrifice his financial safety. Uh, certainly his cohort who refused to do so in chapter 4 indicated that it would endanger him financially. 
Um, He may have been exaggerating, but there could have been that concern as well. The point the writer is making is that whatever endangerment there may have been to Boaz, he didn't care. He didn't care. He was spending himself. He was doing whatever it cost, whatever was necessary in order to restore them to safety and security, to rescue them from the danger of exposure, financial impoverishment, social marginalization. And he acted so as a kinsman redeemer, as a related redeemer. He took on the responsibility of that relationship. He owned their plight. He owned their difficulties and their liabilities and their weakness. He made them his own. He put them on his shoulders and he took them. They were his then. So he endangered himself completely. He sacrificed for them and became their brother in the most intimate way of kinship. And certainly that example, as great as it is, as marvelous as it is, pales in comparison to the endangerment of Jesus Christ, standing in our place to bear our punishment, knowing that his mission to become our kinsman redeemer would cost him his life. To accept the mission was to accept death automatically. It wasn't a possibility that you might die on this dangerous mission. It was a certainty. If you take this mission, you will die. And it was because of his association with us. It's because he took on our liabilities. It's because he bore the responsibility, the debt that we had. Hebrews 5 talks about his offering up prayers and supplications in the garden with loud cries and tears. He spoke of being pushed to the point of death because of the agony and the suffering, the anticipation of going to the cross. And then, of course, the horrible night and the very crucifixion crucifixion itself. Philippians 2, he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And that would make anybody of the day shudder to think. One of the most horrible things I hear about in the ancient world is how people were impaled on stakes, live, just right up through their bodies. And that's a horrible thing that makes us shudder to think of someone doing to that. That was not as horrible as crucifixion. Not near as horrible and painful as crucifixion. And he knew that this is what it would take to bear the very wrath of God. But it was to ensure our security and our safety and our protection to give us a place of honor and abundance. Second Corinthians 8 says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Read in Isaiah 53 that he was so disfigured you couldn't even recognize him as a human being. But that's in order to remove every spot and blemish from us forever. Think of how he impoverished himself to bring us everything. To suffer agony beyond imagination so that we would enjoy one day ecstasy beyond imagination. Impoverished himself to make us rich And Hebrews 2 emphasizes that he did this because we became brothers to him. It even says, as we read, 
he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. So he contemplated us beforehand as family, as his brothers and sisters, and belonging to him. And so he took responsibility for us, and he joined himself to us and shared everything that we had and all of our liabilities and weakness, and he bore them for us. That's just an amazing thing, that he had to be made like his brothers in every respect to become a merciful and faithful high priest. No wonder in the face of such generosity and faithfulness and this and sacrifice and this kinship that he's not ashamed, as it says in Hebrews 2.11, he's not ashamed to call us brothers. I, I just, I can't imagine that. Not only not to call us, but then to suffer in our place as our brother. And so John says in 1 John 4, we've come to know and believe the love that God has for us. Or Paul, the love of Christ governs us. His generosity and his faithfulness and his sacrifice and his kinship, these, among many other things, are what governs our life, Paul says. And... Just to close, I was thinking of the Indian mission trip. And imagine one of these boys uh, on the street in India, much like we saw the children in Ukraine, not having any place, living in some hole in the ground perhaps, living in some subway station, living under a bridge somewhere. And imagine an upper-middle-class family approaching one of these boys, and offering to him a place in their family forever. And older brothers and sisters that are going to love on him and tenderly cherish him and share everything they have with him and a mother and father that will devote their good to him till they die. And imagine him saying, no, I'll take the streets instead. And See, we have orphaned ourselves as human beings. And God comes to us to say, I'll embrace you. I will be family to you. Jesus saying, I will not be ashamed to call you my brother and I will own all your liabilities. I will grant you forgiveness and acceptance and riches here and forever. I'll give everything to you. I just urge you. Don't continue to be an orphan on the street. Be restored to the God who made you. The God who gives His own Son to sacrifice for you so that you would have all the riches that you can in Christ. What an offer. What a glorious God. What a great kinsman redeemer. Will you begin today to trust Him and delight in Him? Let us pray. Oh Lord, we honor you that in Boaz we have such a wonderful picture of a man who was generous and faithful and sacrificial, a man who owned his relationship. And in all of these things, Lord, it points to the infinitely greater generosity and faithfulness and sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the amazing intimacy of his not being ashamed to call us brothers. And then because he would own us as brothers, he became flesh like us and 
bore our sin and lived a perfect life on our behalf and won for us eternal life and pours out His Spirit into our lives and makes potentially every day, every day of our life, a glorious day of knowing God and fulfilling His purpose in our lives. And, O Lord, an eternal kingdom, we praise You. We praise You for such abundant love. And even as we come now to this table, seeing the picture of that love set before us so that all of these things of generosity and faithfulness and sacrifice can be just implanted all the more in our hearts as we come to partake physically of it, this this action that helps us understand and, and partake of the very love of Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you that you are that concerned that we truly experience and live out the glorious grace that we have in Christ Jesus. And if there's anyone here who is still an orphan, separated from God, oh, now, even this morning, may they trust you afresh, Lord Jesus. May they rest in you to take away their sins. May they rest in you to transform them and to walk with them, to make them your own forever. Oh, Lord, call people to yourself even this morning, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful rain. Break radiant through the shades of night And chase my fears away Won't you chase my fears away?